Let me pray for us once more. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you, Lord, for those that have gathered here. And Lord, I pray that you would enable us to listen tonight. You would enable me to preach, Father, and be clear. And I pray, Lord, that the truths of this text would um, land on our hearts in just the way that they need to, that we might leave here believing more deeply in the finished work of Christ for us. God, in this I ask and pray in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. So we've come to the end of the first cycle of speeches in the book of Job to his third and final friend here, a a wonderful little flower named Zophar. Eliphaz was sure of his position, his first friend, because of a strange spiritual vision that he had, which I think came from Satan himself. Bildad was sure of his position because of spiritual tradition. Zophar, this third guy, is sure of his position because of his own wisdom. So he's the most antagonistic toward Job in the first round of speeches. He shows very little empathy for Job's suffering. He's much more concerned with putting Job in his place. Because if nobody steps forward and answers what Job is saying, it might seem... Remember, there's an audience here, there's people listening. If nobody confronts him, it might seem like his words are correct. And he can't be allowed to continue. Is there anything more dangerous to the hurting soul than the person who takes it upon himself to defend the honor of God? Zophar is confident that he understands how God works in the world, and he's confident that he can explain it to Job. But the fact is, when a person hurts, their hurt is real, regardless of the reasons behind it. And Zophar um, gets caught up in the reasons for the hurt, rather than listening to the hurt that Job actually feels. So I've I've tried to present, uh, or show that each one of these friends presents a false version of the gospel, a false version of the news about how it is that God reconciles us to Himself. There are ultimately two options, really. There are different versions of the false option, and then there is the truth. Every false gospel has at its root the belief that we have to do something to make ourselves right with God, and that then God will accept us. Each one of Job's friends made the fatal error of assuming what was true based on their own beliefs. But at the root, the centerpiece of their false gospels was their lack of or their disregard for the necessity of faith. That's what you don't find in any of these men, and that's precisely what you find in Job. What held Job together ultimately, what finally kept him from completely breaking and walking away, was just this even this sliver of faith that God was there and that God would be for him. Not because of anything in himself, but because of who he believed God was. There's an author, I think I've referenced him before, he has a book called The Answers of Jesus to Job, and he says that without the cross of Christ, Job would be but the record of an unanswered agony. But Job's Redeemer lives. There is a mediator who lays his hand on both Job and God, on us and God. So Zophar believed that Job actually deserved worse than he was getting because he had more sin than even God was aware of. He told Job that nothing could ever atone for his sins. He would simply have to live righteously enough to outdo his wickedness and then earn God's favor. Job responded that his hope was not in his own righteousness. 
His hope was in the fact that God will let those who hope in Him stand before Him. That's all Job has. Our hope tonight is that God will let us stand before Him because of Christ. So now may we hear and believe God's Word together. I'm going to read chapter 11, and this is Zophar's argument to Job. Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should a multitude of words go unanswered and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men and when you mock shall no one shame you? For you say my doctrine is pure and I am clean in God's eyes, but oh, that God would speak and open His lips to you and that He would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for He is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes through and imprisons and summons the court, who can turn him back? For he knows worthless men when he sees iniquity. Will he not consider it? But a stupid man will get understanding when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. If you prepare your heart, you will stretch out your hands toward him. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away. And let not injustice dwell in your tents. Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and will not fear. You will forget your misery. You will remember it as waters that have passed away. And your life will be brighter than the noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning. And you will feel secure because there is hope. You will look around and take your rest in security. You will lie down and none will make you afraid. Many will court your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail. All way of escape will be lost to them. And their hope is to breathe their last. So from here on out, the dialogue basically becomes a full-blown argument. Instead of a civil discussion, the friends won't stop pressing the issue. They want Job to accept their view, stop complicating it is what they're saying to him. Zophar doesn't bother with trying to be patient like Eliphaz started out with. He doesn't burden himself with evidence or experience or history for him. It's all way too obvious for any of those things. The problem here for Zophar is that Job is an ignorant fool. That's verses 7 through 12. And the truth is, he actually deserves worse in verse 6. God has actually been pretty lenient on Job so far. So he, he pushes Job a little bit in verses 13 through 15 briefly to repent of his sins. But really, Zophar wants to convict him of his sin. Zophar wants to be the Holy Spirit because the only way for blessings to be restored would be for a man to live a life without sin. 16 through 19. In Zophar's view, God is so high above humanity that he can't even be bothered with remembering everything Job has done wrong. So Job is actually getting off pretty easily. Zophar argues that Job can hardly claim to understand the things of God. His limits are too high. His depths are too deep. But the irony there is what? Apparently not too deep for Zophar to figure out. Apparently not too deep for Zophar to identify and understand. Please, I, I hope you're noticing, I would imagine you are as we work through this book, how high a view of God these three friends had. That was not their issue. Their, their view of God was so high, they were so quick to ascribe majesty and holiness and wisdom and sovereignty to God, but it's all a sham. That's what keeps coming out. It's, it's a God of their own making. Beloved, if, if anything, 
if anything is crystal clear in Job, it's that we must not try to be any clearer about God than God is about Himself. I want to say that again. If there's anything that's clear from the book of Job, it's that we cannot try, we must not try, to be clearer about God than God has been about Himself. To speculate and pontificate and and just just add things in that, that we assume are true or that we think are true when God has not revealed everything to us. This is why legalism and fundamentalism are so dangerous. Because what are they? They're a constant attempt to pin down everything, every detail, which is an attempt to pin down what is unpinnable. So their, their favorite word in philosophies like that is should. You'll hear it all the time, but should we do this? Should we do that? Should we? It's, it's, it's the strength of legalism, the strength of fundamentalism is how holy its speculation sounds. So rather than assurance based on the objective, incontrovertible grace of the living God, rather than that, nobody should have that. That would be presumptuous to actually believe what has been revealed. Rather than assurance, it's, it's the, its power is the fear of not doing anything that would bring God's wrath. That sounds very spiritual and and righteous and pious. It's a very religious sounding way to deny the sufficiency of the cross. That's what it's doing. People can very quickly theologize their way right out of the truth. But we get so wrapped up sometimes, so wrapped up in figuring out and expounding the Word, we forget that it's the Word that is actually expounding us. It is the sword that divides. We are the thing that gets divided. So when we're called as humans to rightly divide the word of truth, that means to lay there and let it do its work to us. That's the best attitude towards it. When we don't do that, when we look at the word as this bull that we have to control, we will then take on a kind of bull in a china shop approach to the consciences of other people. And it's all based on fear. It's based on a lack of faith in the sufficiency of Jesus. That's how we become a people who just champion convictions, who are defined by our own additions and adjustments and preferences. That's precisely what we have in Zophar. He doesn't reference anything but himself. It doesn't even occur to Zophar. Do you notice this? For for a guy that is claiming that the, the... the foundation of his argument is that, Job, how can you pretend that you know about God? I mean, he, he's so high, he's so deep, how can you presume to know anything about him? The centerpiece of that argument, it doesn't even occur to him that it could also be the case. Since God is deeper than we know, that Job could be suffering without being punished for sinning. That never occurs to Zophar. That's not in the cards, because that's not possible to him. See, his, his, it, it's all noise. There's a limit to what he thinks is, is, is unknowable. Because their seemingly high reverence for God is a, is a joke. They, they have exalted the God they have made, precisely because they've made him. Zophar does not actually believe that God's ways are too deep to know. They're just too deep for his opponent to know. Right? It just sounds very righteous. 
And since the friends believe they are righteous, they're fine with a God who is higher than they can fathom. That's where they need God to be. Out of the picture. Not scrutinizing. That's what they need. Because they're sinners too. They need God to be too far above them to get specific about wickedness. You can appear very righteous to a God who isn't looking. And, and his, 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 his accusation here, um, that, that God is only forgiven or, or is only aware of some of the things Job, there's no such thing as selective forgiveness from God. That, that, there's no such thing as I'll forgive these sins of yours, but not the other ones. God has only forgiven some of your sins, Job. That, that's so cruel. Do you see what that is? It's, it's impossible to escape God's gaze, Job. He knows worthless men. He knows right where they are. He's seen your iniquity. And He's dealing with it through your suffering. How can you be so stupid as not to see that? It's so obvious. It's so clear. That's Zophar's case. That is, that is literally Zophar's case. That Job is too stupid to understand so there's little hope he's ever going to change. In fact, the stupidity of Job will change when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. When hell freezes over. That's what Zophar is saying. So it's hopeless for Job to continue to assert that he's innocent. Know then, Job, Zophar says, know that God exacts less of you than your guilt deserves. That's Zophar's gospel. You are so full of iniquity that God doesn't even know how much. Your only hope is to wash yourself, make yourself clean, repent by making up for all you've done wrong. Right? That, that's a sinister false gospel to, to, to claim that repentance is the change. No, repentance is not the change. That's called being saved and forgiven by your works. It just sounds more serious than just banking on grace. You see that? It just sounds much more righteous to say, uh, saying I'm sorry is not being... I saw this this uh, tweet from a very well-respected, and I have many of his books, Preacher, that, uh, you know, saying I'm sorry is not what it means to repent. Changing your life is what it means to repent. No, that, that's a false gospel. We, we're, not, we're not forgiven by God because we change. We're forgiven by God because we ask Him to forgive us. That's, a, that's just a sinister infuriating thing because it just sounds so righteous right you don't want to be on the other side of it you don't want to be one of the goons that's saying just ask him to forgive you and he'll forgive you because that's not taking your sin seriously enough do you see how that puts you in the position of the friends you don't know what is holy you don't know what this god deserves you don't know how righteous he is it's false it's false jesus is enough look at the first part of verse 18 here and you will feel secure if you do, is what he's saying. And you will feel secure because there is hope. <laughs> no matter how much they speak, they're basically saying the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of confused how we're going to proceed through Job because they just keep saying the same stuff. In other words, I don't want to preach the same sermon every week, right? There's got to be a gap in there somewhere. <laughs> but no, no, they're all saying the same thing. Remember Eliphaz back in 4.6. Remember what he said. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? For so far, hope is found in your integrity. It's found when you're either righteous on your own already or you do enough to gain God's favor again. Your hope is in yourself then or it is in nothing because it certainly can't be in God. That's what Zophar is saying. Job, you have to do enough right 
to have hope because you're crazy if you think that a, that, that a human being's hope is in God. He's too high. He's too far. He's too holy to be hoped in to be a savior, Joe. God is not a savior. You hear what he's saying? He's saying to him, look, there's no atonement here. There's no grace. Make yourself clean. Nothing can atone for our sins. There's no hope for grace. Now, there's the obvious problem with that, right? That, that, that in, in the context of Job, there's the surface uh, issue here. Job is not being punished for sinning. That is not why he's suffering. So just every time these guys talk, there's truth in it, but it's just white noise. It, it just doesn't have any bearing on this situation. What it's doing is, is instead of them being quiet, that it, what is it uh, better to... Oh, man, I didn't write it down. What is it? Better to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt? They should have just stayed quiet. And they just keep talking. Because it just gets worse. Even if they speak truth, it's irrelevant to Job's situation. And that renders it foolish, doesn't it? That makes it foolish. Technically, technically, Job is going through his suffering because he's righteous. That's what, uh, that's why the friends have been spared. They aren't. At least in the context of Job. They don't have faith. They don't need it. They know everything. In, do, you, do you hear that? Where is the need for faith in a framework like these friends have? What don't they know? What can't they figure out? What can't they see? There's no need for faith in that framework. The friends keep trying to make it seem, all of them, as though confession is the only surefire strategy available to the believer to deal with the rough spots in our lives. Like that's the only... Well, you, I mean, you've you got to repent of your sins. You've got to get more righteous. You've got to get more serious. Like that's the only option when the believer is suffering. Every bit of that is the sinister echo of Satan's theology. Zophar's belief is that nothing can atone for what Job has done wrong. The debt is too much. Not even God is aware of how sinful Job really is. He can only live righteously enough to make up for it. That's his only hope. What is Job's response? I'm going to read. This will take a few minutes here. Let me read Job 12.1 to 13.28 and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Then Job answered and said, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. <laughs> That's just fantastic. Oh, man, when you guys are dead, there will be no more wisdom on the earth. You, you're, you're the man. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? I am a laughingstock to my friends. I who called to God and He answered me. A just and blameless man am a laughingstock. In the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune. It is ready for those whose feet slip. The tents of robbers are at peace, and those who provoke God are secure, who bring their God in their hand. But ask the beasts and they will teach you. The birds of the heavens and they will tell you. Or the bushes of the earth and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In His hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. 
Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. If He tears down, none can rebuild. If He shuts a man in, none can open. If He withholds the waters, they dry up. If He sends them out, they overwhelm the land. With Him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are His. He leads counselors away stripped and judges. He looses the bonds of kings and binds a waistcloth on their hips. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows the mighty. He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deeps out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great and He destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light and He makes them stagger like a drunken man. Job ascribes everything to God. So he fought, that, that's, that's what he falls under it. And he's saying to him, don't you understand, windbag, how obvious this is. That's, that's what he's saying here. So that, that's what I'm saying. It, it, the, the, the civility begins to crumble. 13. Behold, my eye has seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you, but I would speak to the Almighty. And I desire to argue my case with God. As for you, you whitewash with lies. Worthless physicians are you all. Oh, that you would keep silent, and it, being quiet, would be your wisdom. Hear now my argument, and listen to the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak falsely for God, and speak deceitfully for Him? Will you show partiality toward Him? Will you plead the case for God? Will it be well with you when He searches you out? Or can you deceive him as one deceives a man? He will surely rebuke you if in secret you show partiality. Will not his majesty terrify you and the dread of him fall upon you? Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Let me have silence and I will speak and let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there who will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. Only grant me two things. Then I will not hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me and let not dread of you terrify me. Then call, and I will answer. Do you see the humility there? Look, God, I'm, I'm terrified of you. I'm terrified of you. And I, I know that I'm right, but it's you. right? So can you take that away and then come and talk with me? How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? Will you frighten a driven leaf and pursue dry chaff? For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in the stocks and watch all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. 
Man wastes away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. So, if two full chapters there. We're going to look at 14 next week, God willing, on its own. I think it stands alone. I think it's important, in other words, to look at it alone. If we try to add it in here, I think it would be too much. But Job's response to Zophar is the longest one yet. Partially because it includes a kind of summary response, really, to all the friends. There's two complaints against, against them all. That's 12, 1 through 12, and 13, 1 through 12. Then there's this reflection about the sovereign rule of God in 12 through 25 of 13. After Job's second complaint here against his friends, you, you, you see it there in the beginning of 13. He resolves. To, it's like he sets them aside, and now he's going to pursue his complaint directly with God himself. His friends have been no help, is, is, is kind of what he's implying. His only hope then is to continue this desire to argue his case before God. He expresses the futility about his situation, yet at the same time, he makes these amazingly reverent assertions of confidence in God. So Job is, is, is in essence saying, yeah, it, it's no mystery that I'm suffering because God has done it. Right? What's the other alternative? Is If this is who God is, what's the other alternative than that God is also behind this? And, and we might want to, again, we might feel like, no, no, no we, we want to draw back from that. That's what the first two chapters were passionate to let us know, the reader, know. Job didn't know that. We know it. We know that's correct. I don't know what I did is what Job is saying, and you three are just being windbags about the whole thing. Like, you don't know anything. That's 9 and 10 of chapter 12. The, the first complaint he has against his friends here is that their doc, this doctrine of retribution that they have, it's just karma. It's all they believe in. And Job is saying not even that is validated by experience. That's not true all the time. That, that righteous people always get blessed and wicked people always get punished. That's not always true. Everyone knows what you know. Everyone experiences, everyone's experiences in the world, though, challenge your view, is what he's saying to them. But 12.5, when, when everything is going well for you, you find the misfortunes of other people disgusting. Right? You're arrogant right now. Everything's great for you guys. So it's easy to look down on people for whom everything is not going so great. Everybody suffers. Sometimes the righteous suffer. Sometimes the wicked suffer. <clears throat> and I love what Job does here. He, he says, look, the animals and the bushes know this. Like, how, <laughs> how do you guys not know this? And they all know that God is over it all. They all know that too. He's the one with the wisdom. He's the one who holds all our lives in His hands. In other words, the world is a lot more complicated than His friends make it out to be. That, and, and it's, beloved, it still is. Even though we live on this side of the cross and, and there's more clarity, the world is, is more complicated sometimes than, than we want it to be. You know? Job is not saying he's superior to them. He's not self-righteous. He's not saying he's superior to them. He's saying he's not inferior to them. It's like, you guys are talking to me down like, like I'm stupid. You, I know what you know. Every Again, dogs know what you know. Fish know what you know. That's 13, 1 and 2. Job suggests then, their basic problem is that they actually, for all their big words, have no real fear of God at all in verse 11. No overwhelming sense of the majesty of God's reality. And so their theology is reduced to proverbs of ashes. It's defenses of clay. They are worthless physicians in verse 4. They whitewash with lies. 
That's what false gospels do. They whitewash with a show of righteousness, but they are lies underneath. Lies. They have nothing for him. So he's going to have to continue in his desire to meet with God. So that, that's, we referenced this as we were reading. He makes two requests so that he can speak more freely with God. He wants God to withdraw his hand from him. Right? He wants to stop suffering so he can think clearly. And he wants to be free from the terrifying dread that he has of God. That's just, I, you, you, when you consider what he's going through, just that, that just blows my mind. If he sinned, that, that's what he's saying. He's like, look, if, if, if I've sinned, you have to show me. All right, what did I do that was so bad? It, 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 was it in my, you know, am I paying now for what I did when I was young, when I was in my youth? Do I not remember? Do you hear the pain coming from the man in verse 24? Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? Right, like, what did I do that was so bad? So it, it isn't that Job is completely different from his friends in how he thinks. It's in where the thoughts go. But here, there's something so beautiful. It, it just Look at verses 15 and 16. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Are any of you reading from the RSV tonight? Anybody reading from the Revised Standard Version? It's, it's not very popular anymore. Okay. There is, there, there's, a, there's a way they use that verb that, that's, that's uh, pretty dangerous. And I don't mean to like demonize the whole thing, but I just wanted to make sure nobody... But this this is... This is the correct translation here. This idea of this affirmation of perseverance that you're getting. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. This will be my salvation that the godless shall not come before him. Now I, I suppose we've already seen it like it's already clear. But here again is another example of Satan losing his wager. Job doesn't worship God just because all was well for him. God is Job's only hope, even if Job has nothing. Why is Job so anxious for a hearing with God? He obviously doesn't know what he's going to say. Why is he so anxious for it? Because he knows that whatever is in between where he is now and his meeting with God, the end product for him will be salvation. So ultimately what is holding this man up is just the hope that God will save him. It's as if Job is thinking, if, if, if you heard my case, I know that you would save me. That's faith. Though you are behind every tear, I will hope in you. Now that, that's powerful. Job's answer was never, um, if, if, I, if, if there's an answer to this apart from you, there's peace and refuge. If I were to say, you don't exist and I'm going to live my life the way I want to, forget you, God, right? Sometimes that's what happens when people go through horrible things. They walk away entirely. It's like, I'm, forget it. I'm, I can't believe you let that happen. I'm never going back to Him. There's still, even in that, it's not atheistic, is it? It's, it's, you're there. I just, you hurt me. I don't want anything to do with you. Job's answer never goes there. Job says, you hurt me, but you're the one that can save me. This is the gospel according to Job. Right? 
My hope is that God will let those who hope in Him stand before Him. That's my hope. That because I hope in you, you'll let me stand before you. This is the foil to Zophar's false gospel. Again, Job's hope is not that he hasn't sinned. That he is righteous enough on his own to stand before God. He's made that clear already. And the truest irony in the section is is really this. Is that in a sense, Zophar is is 100% correct. God has exacted less of Job than Job actually deserves. Job's a human being. Job came from Adam. There isn't a person in this book other than Christ. There isn't a person in this world other than Christ that doesn't deserve eternal, conscious torment and condemnation. Beloved, we are sinners. And the debt is too much. It is too much. He is so holy and we are so guilty. We're so riddled with sin and iniquity. And that doesn't mean we're, we're trying to be, but that's the whole point. You don't even have to try. Perfection is not on the table. My goodness, if we had any real sense of our own iniquity, we wouldn't be able to open our mouths to utter a single word. God doesn't owe Job an answer. That's what we haven't talked about yet. All the, the trouble that we have with this book is, is this underlying belief we all have. We all have that, that well, yeah, God, I mean, he's got to show up and answer. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. When, when, when you make a pancake, are you obligated to eat it? Like, no. God making us does not obligate him to do for us. I mean, it's, it's just, it, God doesn't owe Job an answer. Job is a human being, and human beings are sinners from the garden to the, to the grave. The three friends are sinners. We're all sinners. The amazing thing here that we can't lose sight of is that Job is not going through this because he's a sinner. So there's suffering that, that is just there that it doesn't even result from the fact that we're sinners. Not in an immediate, in an immediate sense. His sin is not the cause of his suffering, but his suffering is the cause of his pain. And for Job, what's coming out is that this man's hope has always been in God. Because his pain is revealing his faith. What makes Job righteous here is not that he somehow overcome the curse of Adam. What makes Job so righteous is that his faith, his faith is that God will save him. Job's hope is that God will let him stand before him. Beloved, nothing we do can atone for our sins. We have to let it go. This burden we carry. We're too guilty. Like we're too guilty. We, we, then we end up becoming the friends. We create arbitrary categories of, I've done this, now to make up for it, I'm going to do this. And, and God is just so kind to us. I wonder if sometimes He just kind of pats us on the back when we come like, I'll never do this again. And if, if you just, 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 I promise the Lord, I commit to you, Lord, now I'm never going to struggle with this again. I, I'll tell you a quick, quick story. I'm, I'm really almost done. I'm really almost done. I have this much and that much and we're done. Okay? So just, just, I just, I think, I think here, I didn't plan on it. I just think this story works. So 
Bear with me because it's, 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 it's embarrassing. So um, I grew up Nazarene, and I believed all my life that you could lose your salvation. So I just lived in this constant state of terror, literally. Not because I was like more in because I was so rotten. And it just, it, it just wouldn't go away, no matter how much I prayed. And, and I also believed, as, as, as far as I know, the Nazarene church still does, that they, they're a second blessing holiness church. So when you get saved, you don't get the Holy Spirit yet. That comes later at something called uh, entire sanctification. Which means when you have that happen to you, uh, your carnal nature is removed and you'll never sin anymore. You can be sinless because you, it takes away your carnal nature. And they would look to Galatians to that you've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so that can happen, right? That, that's what they think. And so um, now how you get there is very arbitrary. But apparently you, you just have to have a really deep experience where you like know that it happened. So I did. I had about 20 of those. And uh, by the time I was 15. But there's one that sticks out to me as just the example of... of I, I, I think I was, a, I was a senior in high school, and it, or it was about to be my senior year, and we were at our camp meeting, which was this huge thing. We looked forward to it all year long. It was the big thing. It was two weeks, camp meeting, services. And there was a guy preaching about entire sanctification. And I was so just convicted over my sin that I went down to the altar and I, I cried for a, probably a good hour working through it until I felt when I stood up, it happened. I got it. I w- the service ended. Now, you, for you to appreciate this, I'm telling you, I was never more sure in my life that I wasn't going to sin again. Like, whatever I had been missing, I got it. I found it. I walked over to the snack shack. And a girl was wearing tiny jean shorts. And I couldn't stop staring at her. It, please laugh. Please, it make me, so to make me feel less uncomfortable. It took five minutes. Five minutes! But like, it, it's just, it's, it's, God is not up there redeeming us because we're really trying. You have to understand this. Like, this is the hill I'll die on. It's, 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 that's not what's happening. God knows every attempt we make is pathetic. That's not mean. It's reality. Right? It's, it's, beloved, what He has done for us in Christ is enough. It's enough. It, it just, all through the Bible, this is the argument. Like, th- that's the argument. What, what do you have to do to be made righteous before God? You have to quit trying to do things. You have to quit. Like, don't, don't worry. Well, I know, but I'm supposed to change. Let the Holy Spirit worry about it. You'll change. Just trust in Jesus. Not, there's nothing else that's, that's, like, there's, it's just, I look back on that now and it's just hilarious. I, I, I was preaching a men's retreat one time and I said the girl's name and they were recording it and it dawned on me, oh my gosh, make sure they know not to post that on social media. Could you imagine if, oh my gosh, my poor wife has to hear that story. It's, I was a teen, like it was a teenager. Like why would you put that weight on a teenager? 
what makes Job righteous is his faith that his only hope is that God will save him. Nothing we do can atone for our sins. We're too guilty. But Jesus has stepped in. Jesus has stepped in. So though he may see fit to slay us, he has also seen fit to forever redeem us. No strings attached. And that and only that is our hope. When Job finally repented, you know, the friends keep pushing him to repent and he, he won't do it. When Job finally repents, it's at the end of the book and it's only for, because of the word of the Lord directly. And it wasn't as though he was repenting for sinning. God affirms that that's not the case. It, it, repenting here for Job was changing his position towards God from one of confusion to acceptance. Because he doesn't repent because he gets an answer. He never gets an answer, beloved. So he doesn't repent because he's like, oh, you were right the whole time. I, like, that's why. That, that's never it. That's never it. Job moves from darkness to light. That's, how, that's his repentance. He believes a different thing about God than he did throughout the book. That's repentance. Beloved, don't let go in the slaying when it comes. Don't let go when the answers aren't there. He will appear. He will save. And if we don't know anything else, we know that we're loved. If that's all we have to hold on to, that can be enough. The book of Job is not really interested in a doctrine that reduces the suffering of the righteous to just testing their faith. Right? That's true, but, but that doesn't explain everything, does it? And it doesn't suggest that suffering is something we have to accept without questioning. I mean, the entire middle section of the book containing Job's search for understanding is not there, I don't think, so that it can just be dismissed. It's a piece of true wisdom in which the search for understanding God's ways refuses every trite and simplistic answer there is. Because what most answers for suffering do is imply that either we have to know it all or we can't know anything. And neither one of those are true. Job is not primarily about justifying the ways of God. Most of us have come to terms in some way with some explanation of how a good God can allow or ordain such terrible things to happen to people. We, we all have some way that, that we kind of accept that and work through it, I think. What grows and takes shape, though, as the Bible progresses, is that the future will make everything right. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Job is the oldest book of the Bible. Again, not in chronology, but in the, in the time it was written. The seeds of that idea that the future will make everything right, the seeds are there in Job, even though the perspective of a future heavenly solution is not really fully formed throughout the Old Testament. It, it never really is fully formed. So there was faith, beloved, when it was less clear. So there can be faith now. Job wasn't in the right position, when you think about it, in redemptive history to know God to the extent that has now been made available in Christ. But the fact that God has been made known in Christ does not make us immune to suffering or the pain that results. The difference is that now we know a little bit more than Job about who God really is because Jesus came and did what? He suffered. He suffered. That's the difference. 
If there's a remedy to Job, that's what it is. Now I know the one who may slay me as the one who even still loves me infinitely. I no longer have to question it. Because Christ has been slain. Right? Christ has been slain. The slaying of Christ for me irrevocably proves that such action by God does not nullify, but might in fact be the very display of His infinite love. Right, what, is, what is Zophar saying? Nothing can atone for your sins. That's why you're suffering. That's ultimately correct. Right? I mean, the reason the world is broken and we suffer in it is because of sin. That doesn't mean that everything you suffer is an immediate response of God to your sin. It just means that the reason things are broken and their sorrow is because of sin. But in Christ, that's answered. Christ suffered to atone for our sins. And in so doing, rescued us from needing to suffer in order to satisfy God's wrath. What those who reject the gospel cannot see is that God doesn't redeem by accepting our payments. God redeems by doing the one thing we think means He doesn't favor us. Suffering. To despise suffering is to despise Jesus. The suffering of Jesus saves it purifies, it redeems, it forgives, it makes new. In Jesus, everything wrong and suffering will be undone. And this is our only hope tonight. It will be our hope tomorrow. Beloved, when you lay your head on your pillow tonight, have the absolution of the gospel. If you believe in Christ as your Savior, don't ask how do I know I have faith? Ask, do you know that you have a Savior? And if you know that you have a Savior, you have faith. Rest in Him. Rest in Him. He's enough. Let me close this in prayer. Linda will come and pray for us. And I'll be down front if any of you need to come and pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your mercy, Lord God. Lord, You are sovereign over everything. We, we can't get around it and we don't help ourselves by trying to. But Lord, I, I, I pray that when the times of slaying come, if they come, the Lord, we would not lose hope. I pray, Lord, that none of us doubt that Your Son's blood is insufficient to fully cover all of our sins. Lord, be with us. Help us to believe. Heal hearts tonight. Bring peace. Bring peace, Father, I ask in the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing number two.